Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of 99 Problems But A Boss Ain't One, the podcast that solves your freelance problems one at a time. My name's Michelle Pratt and I run a training and coaching business called Dive Deeper Development. And I'm Casey Carlisle, also known as the Squarespace Queen and I run a Squarespace web design and training business. And today we're going to talk about one of my most frustrating bits of feedback that we get given to freelancers. And um, it is, you've got to get through those limiting beliefs. So quite often I've been on courses or I've attended like webinars or seminars and maybe there's something holding me back in business and the seminar leader or the speaker says something really unhelpful like, you've got to change your money mindset or you've got to get through that limiting (laughs) belief. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, thanks, right? I hadn't thought of that before. So... It is true that freelancers have to come over overcome many limiting beliefs, such as money or marketing, for example, but simply telling someone to get over it doesn't exactly help. So in this episode, we're going to explore some of the top limiting beliefs that freelancers experience, we'll help you identify where they come from, and more importantly, we'll share some ideas for how we can overcome them. So before we get started, let's just get really clear on what we actually mean by limiting belief. So Michelle, what would you classify as a limiting belief? How would you explain to somebody? What is a limiting belief? Yeah, it's a good question, Katie, because sometimes we hear the people say, oh, it's a limiting belief, like naming it's gonna make it go away. So a limiting belief is really any kind of idea or thought that you have that you've repeated over and over so many times to yourself that you hold it to be true. So in your mind, it's a fact, whereas for someone else, they would very much see it as a perception. And there are certain things that we tell ourselves that when we tell ourselves those things often enough, or we do it at many, many times in our lives, we begin to think those things are true. Of course, a lot of these things are not actually true. It's just that we've we've kind of built it up over a period of time. So if you tell yourself, um, oh, you must never do this or I couldn't possibly do that or do you know what I mean Katie yeah okay so like I'm no good at this or yeah like people who do x are y like oh only people who are this can achieve this exactly that or it's bad to do something yeah definitely and as, as you can imagine, as freelancers, we have you know, limiting beliefs up to our eyeballs. Um, so you might have limiting beliefs about being a business owner, like you say, about who a real entrepreneur is, for example, money. Oh, that's a huge one, isn't it? Yeah, money. <laughs> money's a massive one. It's particularly you go from being a friend or an associate to being a bit, you know, a business partner. Sales and marketing, we hear a lot. I mean, you've got some others as well, haven't you, Katie, that you've seen in, with your freelance travels? Yeah, I think like time, you know, beliefs around how much time we have to spend working, you know, hustling, et cetera, et cetera. And so many limiting beliefs around growth as well. And just because we're calling them limiting beliefs, it doesn't mean that you're kind of limited upwards. You know, we've, we've talked in the past about whether growth is always the right option and how to know if growth is the right route for you. And actually one of your limiting beliefs might be that you think that growth is the only solution and it might actually be that staying small is fine for you so when we say limiting we don't mean it's stopping you from growing if growth is right for you yeah definitely and i think it can be a belief about um you know how you run your business or what you offer in your business or like you say it's not always about getting bigger or asking for more money it can be in terms of how you grow as well and certainly i think we've met people katie haven't we that um you know have who've gone freelance and maybe their family aren't freelance and they've got this kind of thing like, oh, it's bad to be a freelancer or it's insecure to be a freelancer. But actually it's perfectly fine, you know? Yeah, well, that's one thing that we've learned during the pandemic actually is that everyone's jobs have been in, you know, or most people's jobs at least have been in some degree of jeopardy, whether you're freelance or not freelance. And yes, there's been a lot of people who are freelance that didn't necessarily get the support that they should have done, but actually I know a lot of freelancers who've been able to pivot much more quickly than people who were employees and who were kind of beholden to the management making decisions and so you know I think that's that's definitely one limiting belief that you get told early on and oh but what are you going to do about a pension and you know and and this idea of if you the only way to be successful as a freelancer is if you're making six figures and all of this so yeah Yeah. i think sometimes they can play into each other so you might have combined limiting beliefs that feed off each other so you know something around money and marketing or something around sales and growth 
and so it doesn't necessarily just have to fall into one category I don't think no it's it's interesting well one of my favorite limited beliefs around uh, freelancing Katie is um I especially when I was offered redundancy at my old job I heard people say things oh I'd love to do what you're doing but I couldn't possibly do it because of my kids and I'll, I'll tell you a quick story so the amount of people I know that would love to run their own business but say I can't because of my kids or I need the money every month or I need to do this and I've met and I went on fresh walks as you know networking out walking and I met this chap who um, had two boys and they were coming up to sort of one was a level one was at university age and he said uh, I've decided I've got to start my own business because of my kids his eldest wanted to go to uni to learn business and he thought well okay it's all right doing the degree but if I want to show my son how it's really done I feel like I want to go first so I can mentor him and he says my youngest will want to go into business but he doesn't want to go down the academic route and I feel like I'm able to support him better if I can do it myself so I'm doing it because of my kids and he had it's not like he, he had lots of university bills to pay or training fees to pay for his kids um and he made that leap and I met another chap who had his second child on the way. And then I said, oh, what made you go freelance? And he said, especially with a, with a baby on the way, your second child on the way. And he said, um, because of my kids. He said, uh, the first one, I worked every, all out every hour God send for a marketing company. And I'm not going to miss out on my second child growing up the way that I have the first. So again, he was building clients from scratch, no regular income, partner on maternity leave. But his belief was, I have to do this to provide the right life for my kids. So it's really interesting. And this is why we call them limiting beliefs, because what is true to one person, oh, you couldn't possibly set up a business when you've got small children, is the opposite. It was the other person's reason. Their belief is, I have to do this because I have children, which is why they're beliefs rather than facts, but we think that they are. Yeah. <laughs> so Michelle, what's some of your, what's some of your beliefs that you have had that maybe you don't have anymore? Yeah, we all have limiting beliefs. I think especially when we start out, but actually every time we do something different with our business, they kick in. But I mean, I think about some of mine. I, I used to believe, and I don't know where I got it from, that you can't generate wealth without others losing out. For some, I don't know whether that's like a 1980s view, but if somebody somewhere was creating wealth, there were limited resources, and that means that someone else somewhere had to suffer. And I think it's a good thing to be mindful of. But in the digital age, you literally can create value without you know taking resources from others um and i used to um think that you have to like outdo your competition or you have to have a completely unique selling point otherwise why would people buy from you and i just very quickly learned that lots of people are coaches for example or lots of people are trainers and actually there's as many uh, people who want a particular style as there are as many types of coaches as there are customers really um so i realized very quickly that was that was untrue and i also used to think you used to have to impress you know being successful was all about impressing people and we see these speakers and these authors and these these you know people that you get to speak at networking events and they tell you about their achievements and in my experience, they're normally the most boring people out of the lot, apart from the few charismatic <laughs> ones. Like the most interesting people who are the people who are a bit more vulnerable and who generally want to share and connect and learn from anyone, no matter how big their business is. So it's not about walking into a room and impressing people. I've very much learned it's about walking into a room and being interested in people rather than being interesting. But that probably comes from my old bank days. So I think it's about recognising what I what might have impressed or been useful in an employee world was not really working for me as a as a freelancer um so there, there's a few Katie I probably had quite a few to begin with what what about you you must have had someone you started off I think a bit similar to your like networking thing like I used to say I hate people and it was because I used to have to go to these networking events in like my previous job before I was freelance was in the event industry and so you used to have to go to these kind of very quite corporate events or like event industry events and the event industry like in general like there's quite a high proportion of very like either like very kind of trendy people and I'm not a trendy person at all um or like yeah kind of you know there, there's, there is a significant proportion of like middle-aged men in suits just kind of walking around and mansplaining to you and things and it's just it just wasn't my world and so I'd go to these networking events and just be like oh I hate it I hate going to networking events I hate people and I remember when I went freelance 
I was so excited about being at home with just my laptop for company. And then of course, you know, long time listeners will know that the, the way that story ended up was I went a little bit mad and ended up creating freelance folk as a way to connect with other people because I hated being on my own and I hated the isolation that came with freelancing. And now I've found kind of my people in air quotes, it's made such a difference. But yeah, I used to be like, I hate people. And I really, really thought that I, was just meant to be someone that was sat at home with a laptop with no interaction with people, which is bonkers because I'm a massive extrovert, but I didn't realize it at the time, but it's just, I hadn't found the right people. Because that was one of them. Certainly until a few years ago, I definitely couldn't imagine a world where I was free from debt. I mean, obviously I've still got a mortgage and I am determined to not pay off my student loan before I get to 60, (laughs) but you know, in terms of just kind of credit card debt or other types of short-term debt, you know, I couldn't see a world in which I didn't have the debt. And I never thought I'd earn enough money or be in a position where I felt financially stable. Even when I was kind of, even though I was happy freelancing, I just kind of, it was almost like I accepted it as an, and I took it as a thing of like, oh, well, I'm always gonna have debt and I'll just be scraping by and I'll never, I'll never have enough. Um, so I had that sort of scarcity mindset that people talk about. And similarly, like, oh, I'll never earn a certain amount of money. And again, <laughs> earning a load of money isn't like a massive financial goal you know it's not sorry it's not a massive goal for me to be that sort of again getting to like six figures or anything but it would be nice to have enough to be comfortable and be able to do the things you want to do and so I think I definitely had a belief around because I'd always had low paid jobs even before freelancing I just kind of thought this is how much I earn like that that is just my salary and definitely when you and I first started talking about the idea of me kind of working at different times of the day and like we, we, we sort of broached the idea of like, oh, could I just work in the afternoons rather than working in the mornings? And I thought, oh, there's no way that I'd be able to get away with not doing client calls before 12. Someone's going to kick off. But actually it was totally fine. And then I guess kind of like linked to that, I'm not a morning person is definitely a, a work in progress <laughs> limiting belief. Um, but it's definitely, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. But I think that's something I do say. Oh, I'm not a morning person. I can't get up in the mornings. But, but I can, and I do when I have to. So I know, I know it's possible. I just, it's just, that's definitely that's been a big one for me. Um, yeah, but I think I think it's an interesting one though, because I mean, some things are like partially or actually true. You know, like. Um, we all have different circadian rhythms so you yeah. might never be your best performance in the morning and some people may have physical or mental illnesses that mean that they can never you know if you know I'm I'm asthmatic I'm never going to be a sprinter you know that's not a limiting belief yeah. I do have asthma do you know <laughs> so I'm probably not going to be a sprinter but um but then it's what it what those things mean I suppose like do you know what I mean I can say I've got this illness therefore it means I'll never do something no it means I have an illness which means that I might need to manage certain things or I might need to to, you know work differently do you know what I mean yeah. yeah and I think you know I'm happy to say I I'm maybe more energized in the evening or something but like yeah I think just it was too much of a blanket statement I think sometimes these things you can kind of I don't know if it's just because it's easier or because you haven't spent the time kind of drilling down into it or something I wonder if that was the situation for me but like sometimes it's easier to make a kind of blanket statement than actually unpick it and be like okay well actually I've said I'm not a morning person what do I actually mean by that like you were saying like if I'm saying that that's kind of I'm almost creating a self-fulfilling prophecy there because I'm I'm putting that statement out into the world whereas actually if I say yeah do you know what I'm you know the morning isn't the best time for me to do this but it is a good time for me to do this other thing and the idea that I couldn't get up was definitely there and like and, and I think what you'll find with a lot of limiting beliefs as well is that there's a lot of judgment attached to some of them. So my, you know, yeah. my limiting belief was I'm not a morning person. And then I'd have a whole story around, which is terrible because why am I like a teenager and I can't get up and why can't I just be like a grown up and it's so embarrassing and all this stuff. So I think sometimes even if you recognize you've got a limiting belief, you can you can sort of still beat yourself up about it rather than being able to change it so hopefully some tips that we'll share with you in this episode will help with that yeah 
And it's interesting they say like you make a blanket statement and you almost then create the story or it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's true. I mean, we all like to be right, you know, consciously or unconsciously. So quite often when we tell ourselves like, I don't, I'm not a morning person. And then you struggle to get up one day as, as everybody does on some days. And then you see? go, ha, see, told you I was right. Told you I couldn't do it. And then you feel kind of smug because you were right. Even if it is self-defeating, it feels quite nice yeah. to be right and about And is it confirmation things. bias that you talked about as well, Michelle, in the past where yeah you'll kind yeah. of you'll look for evidence that supports your theory and you'll kind of ignore evidence that doesn't support your theory as well exactly yeah that definitely reinforces um a limited belief as well and also you do get a dopamine hit every time you you know you seek seek certain information or seek certain things in the world like answers and whenever you get like a you know you you prove yourself right you find what you're looking for you get a little dopamine hit and you feel good and um that's just incentive to find yourself right more often so there's a whole host of reasons why it can it you know it's a self-fulfilling prophecy probably really useful when you're looking for berries or something if you're like a caveman <laughs> it's probably not so good when you're trying to be a freelancer and yeah. I think as well, sometimes you might not even be aware of some of the limiting beliefs you have. Like some of them you are aware of, I reckon. Like there's some that I'm like, yeah, I know this is limiting belief and I'm kind of just a bit stuck with it. But sometimes I don't even know that I've got them. So I know like when I was like changing my business name, which has taken me over a year from actually deciding to do it and probably an extra year building up to the decision to do it. And I was thinking, like, why did it take me so long? And I definitely had a limiting belief that if I changed my business name, I would lose customers because that's what, when I was looking into it, a lot of people said, oh yeah, you can't, if you've built up a brand, you can't change it. You can't change your brand. No one will know who you are anymore. And so I definitely had this fear that like, oh, I have to do it really slowly and gradually because otherwise people can't handle it. And I need to sort of, you know, cost it everyone a little bit. And rather than just kind of going, hey, look, this is what's happening. I was a bit timid in it, which isn't very like me at all. Normally I'm like big and brash and bold and just like impulsive. Um, and it was because of that limiting belief that, that that if I did it, that I'd lose customers. Yeah, and it really happens. It really works out that way. No, I've when, got more, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true because it's more, more true to what you do yeah, right now. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's an easier things. name to remember as well. Definitely. And I think sometimes, Katie, like when we have these beliefs for a long time, I think people think that they can't be changed, particularly if you've had it for a number of years. And I think in reality, you can change them a lot, a lot quicker than you think. I don't know about UK. I've met like a lot of people who say, you know, it's just a fact. This is how it is. I've always been this way or, you know, you can't do this or you can't do that or the other. Um, and I've just, I've always been that since I was a child. Therefore, I can't, can't change. And you can really and you can change quite quickly as well like I sometimes say to people you know remember when you were five years old and then you went to bed and a few hours later you woke up on your sixth birthday just hours later you had a totally different view of the world and your place within it and your capability as well you're like oh when I was five I couldn't do that but now I'm six I'm like stronger <laughs> taller more capable I'm more confident five, I wouldn't do that when I was five but now I can ride the big bike you know and it just the whole world I wish grown-ups could do that do you know what I mean I wish as, you, as an adult it was that easy <laughs> <laughs> yeah just go to bed and wake up and bed right I'm gonna squish this limiting belief today yeah, I'm a big girl now. Yeah. I can I can do that marketing <laughs> I meant to be doing, and um, we can't. But grown ups can do that too. And you know there are there are things that change someone's world you know worldview in seconds. So you know not just when bad when bad things happen you change your view of the world. But if you something good happens you can change your view of the world as well. So I had a friend who. He used to be an 18 to 30s rep and that was kind of like his lifestyle in his 20s. But his his girlfriend got pregnant and, you know, he said, well, he's telling himself I'm not ready to be a father. I don't really want this. And he said, like, the minute his son was born, the minute he lays eyes on him, his whole worldview, his value system, his priorities, everything in a heartbeat completely changed. Um and, you know, factually, he was the same person and he had a bit more responsibility, but just everything completely changed. And this this can, this can happen very quickly. So I think some beliefs may take a long time, particularly because we hold on to them a bit, but they can change a lot quicker than you think, I think, is the model of the story. So just because you always thought it doesn't mean that you're always going to. I don't know what your thoughts, Katie, how long you think beliefs can change or whether you've changed any quite quickly. Um, I think it just depends. Yeah, I remember when I was in school, I was maybe four, 13, 14, probably 14. And I, I've all, I was always really shy when I was little. And 
and I'd like refuse to have my photo taken and I would you know just never put myself out there and I always just thought oh I'm shy I'm shy and then I just kind of got a bit fed up with being shy and so for my new year's resolution um when I was yeah I think I just turned 14 I was like right my new year's resolution is I'm gonna be more assertive and I said to all my friends this is my new year's resolution like hold me to account about it I mean I obviously didn't use those words but that was what I asked them to do and yeah pretty much instantly I became assertive I was just like right I'm gonna make myself do these things and it's that sort of fake it till you make it but yeah kind of I think just because I'd I'd made a decision and I was committed to it and I was like right yeah I'm gonna be assertive and then I became this new assertive confident person pretty much overnight So yeah, I think it can, can happen, but there's other things which I've definitely struggled with and I feel like I'm still working on them now, you know, like yeah. like the getting up in the morning thing or, you know, I have a complex relationship with food. So <laughs> there's certain things, you know, like, oh, I'll never be thin. There's that, you know, I, I, I hate exercise. That was one for the longest time for me because I, I never enjoyed exercise. Everyone talked about endorphins. I've never had them. I always get a massive headache after exercising, even if I'm really hydrated. And and I never enjoyed it. And it was always rubbish. And it wasn't until we moved to the coast and I actually started doing swimming and water sports and surfing and all kinds of things. And I was and, and, and even just things like going for a bike ride was just much more enjoyable because it's flatter, whereas where I used to live was in the hills. And and I realised the other day after I'd like gone for a swim and then a bike ride and then a long walk and then kayaking all in one day I was like huh do you know I might like exercise and so I think sometimes they could change and creep up on you and it only takes takes a moment of reflection for you to go huh yeah my beliefs have changed and I hadn't even consciously done it so it wasn't like a switch it was a gradual realization so yeah it's it's interesting Joe one that changed really really quickly for me was like about money and um, I think because I'd, I'd left employment and you know how it works in corporate companies, you climb up the ladder, you get different pay grades, there's a whole status attached to it. I think they try and tie you in like they do. A lot of companies do try to tie you into their financial package and attach it to your worth. You get a pay review every year and they tell you, like you say what you th- earlier, oh, this is what I earn. Like you just take that as given. Someone else tells you your value. And so I, ha- I must have had some hang ups with money. And then I was in the training session and the, and the trainer said, well, actually, no, coach each other. You know, you go go talk to Chris. And Chris is like a serial entrepreneur. And um, and he was talking about this business he built up to like a million pound business. He just walked away because he got itchy feet. And we were like, oh, my God, how did you walk away from like this big business? And weren't you bothered about the money and la, 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 la. And he talked about businesses he'd started and where he'd lost it all. I was like, oh my God, how are you so fine with this? How are you so cool? He just sort of shrugged his shoulders and just went, money's just a resource at the end of the day. He said, if you want to build a house, you need enough bricks and you don't get upset because you haven't got enough bricks or decide you're a bad person, you're a terrible person. You just go, what can I build with what I have? Or how do I get more bricks? Um, there's no meaning to it. You just, it's a resource. It's If you want to do something, you need enough of it to get what you want. And that just like, that, that almost was almost like a switch. I was like, oh yeah, it is literally just a resource. It Money doesn't have a huge amount, which intellectually I do, but that just made me feel very different to money. You know, the fact that I didn't earn X amount per year didn't really matter. Yeah. It's like, no, no, what do I need? And then how do I get to that? Yeah, so it was something that happened really, really quickly from him. So yeah, so it can, it change, it can change very, very quick. So if we've got these limiting beliefs then, why well first i guess why why do we even have them they sound stupid and where do they come from yeah i think too some of them aren't even ours and that's the funny thing like you talked about a moment of reflection katie like where did that come from or how did that change and a lot of them don't even belong to us so quite often they come from parents or teachers or grandparents or maybe even your old employer you know we talked a moment ago about freelancers whose parents have always been employed who they've always had this job security and quite often a lot of the the guilt that freelancers talk about we talked about in the previous episode 
it comes from yeah from from other people or you might have you know grandparents who remember the second world war and rationing and they might have lived in a time of scarcity so they've probably instilled in your parents it's very important to be secure to be loyal to a company because in those days companies were loyal to you and you know work your way up the ladder and all of this so your parents believed it now your parents are passed it on to you this career story and it, it wasn't actually even yours it might not actually even be your parents it probably belongs to your grandparents or a teacher or somebody so if you find yourself saying i have to or it's bad to or you should never or only certain types of people can do this kind of thing i would just check whether that's your perception or whether it came from someone else and if it came from someone else you might begin to understand why when they were growing up that might have been quite useful but um I think um, it probably isn't very useful to someone entering the workforce or working in the workforce right now. Yeah, I mean, I definitely had that around going to university. You know, I, I had good grades at school. And so my, my, I, my belief was I have to go to a sensible university, I have to go to a good university where the offer reflects the grades I'm likely to get. And I really wanted to go to Lancaster University and it's not that that's a bad university, but the offer the offer was lower, like significantly lower than my predicted grades. And everyone's like, oh yeah, but you can't put that as your first choice. You gotta have that as your backup. But yeah, and in the end, it, I kind of, I just kind of, yeah, ended up internalizing what teachers and even friends were saying um it was less from parents actually um but teachers and friends definitely you know there's that that kind of idea of like oh well it's a waste of your education if you, you know, it's a waste if you don't use your grades to go to the right university and so i went went to a different university and was miserable for the most of the time I was there um, and you know I recognize now that it's got me on the path that it's you know that's led me to here so I'm grateful for the role it played in it but if I was to go back and do it again differently yeah maybe I'd try a different path just to see what happened and there's no guarantee I would have loved Lancaster but I just felt very like you know I felt really drawn to it I felt at home there my gut instinct was to go there and I ignored it and so that that and going into teaching was the two times in my life where I've kind of had this, the belief of I need to make the sensible choice and oh I have to you know I have to do a sensible job and I have to make the use of my degree as well that's another one again otherwise it's all going to be for nothing and all the times I've listened to my gut and gone with the non-sensible choices worked out much better so yeah I think definitely we can be influenced by people around us yeah and sometimes it's not just people from your past it's also people in the present as well particularly if you admire people so i know um you know freelancing we see we get a lot of newsletters maybe we've signed up for some courses or we might see ted talks or youtube videos uh, or even actually face-to-face katie at events locally you meet people and those people can sometimes bang the drum about certain things and instill it in you and um, I got told some really early doors. I can't remember what it was. You know, if you can't, it's something about niching probably. If you can't identify your your unique selling point, if you can't, you know, identify the exact customer you're selling to or why, then you, you then you don't have a business. And it's like, and that really held me back for a long time. And it's like, yeah, but the only way you're going to find that stuff out is to do some stuff. So it's you know, but I was told if you don't have it first, then you can't have a business. It's like no, you've got to have a business. And yeah, it's all, it. it's the wrong way around. And I think like we talked about freelance myths in episode sixty one, and I think a lot of the time we kind of, especially when we're for, we're new to freelancing, like I say we kind of just take that at, at face value. And you know, freelance myths, anything about oh you've got to hustle, you've got to work all these hours and you, you know otherwise you, you're not doing it right and you know taking Instagram at face value and, and believing like okay well the only way, way I can tell if I'm successful is if I've got this many likes and, and comparing yourself to other people I think can lead to limiting beliefs too. I read a really good example yeah. today in a newsletter from um, uh, Karen Weber from Goodness Marketing. She was talking about the, 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 the myth of of when people talk about oh well my post went viral and then my business really took off and I like suddenly got loads of orders and everything and she said actually more often than not your business grows one person at a time and it's worth investing in just getting those one you get one person and then get one more person and that's how it grows and she she'd made that point in an article and then ironically she'd had a post go viral on Instagram and was retweet you know or reshared I should say by an account with sort of you know, 700,000 followers or something, I think it was. And she said, what did I see any differently? 
nothing. She said she got no followers, no new likes or comments, no new inquiries through her website, no new newsletter signups. So it's, it's you know, yeah, for some people it might work, but actually we like to kind of latch on to the sort of the extravagant success stories, but actually they make up like such a small percentage of what the reality of freelancing is. But if we keep telling ourselves, oh, well, I'm not successful because I haven't gone viral, then we're kind of going to miss out on actually curating a gradual growth that actually is what the reality is for most businesses. Yeah, and I'm in the network where people talk about niching a lot. They're very evangelical about it because for a lot of them, it has improved their business. And if you work, you're saying coaching or training where there are so many people about and there's so many generalists, it can help to be more profitable to stand up from the crowd. But that doesn't mean that there isn't any room for someone who is more generalist or who wants to pursue another avenue. But the way that some people talk sometimes is like there's no room for an alternative point of view and people bang on and then they say, oh, you need to do this in order to to have a successful business. It's like, no, actually some of the techniques they're talking about are very specific to online or digital businesses where you're selling to mass market online it's still good advice, but it's not as crucial for people who are using relationship-based selling. That's probably not as true. So if your people are working with you because they like your personality, that kind of niche in your product or service isn't necessarily as 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 um, important. So sometimes we're not comparing like with like. And I think if we hear these things repeatedly from either from different sources or repeatedly from the same source, we do internalize it. And then that's when it becomes the limiting belief. So I think that's the difference between uh, you know, a freelance myth and then limiting belief is that the freelance myth, you may hear it, but you don't necessarily internalize it. Whereas it becomes a limiting belief when you've just taken that on and you are then kind of always being the one that goes out evangelizing about niching because you've drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah, because yeah, because you you know you, you let it hold you back or affect your decisions. I think the other thing, Katie asked, where do they come from? I think the typical reason why we hang on to them or where we get them is is sometimes the limiting beliefs come from ourselves, not from other people. So it might be that we had an experience in the past. We um, came up with a solution, consciously or unconsciously, we found a way to deal with the situation and we learned a lesson from that situation. And now we hold that lesson very dear to our our hearts because it was it really either got us out of a terrible situation or it got us great joy some point in the past. And now we sort of universally apply it to everything, even when it doesn't fit. So when I was a lot younger, I was, you know, I was in the closet. And I was really scared of being rejected. And so I was fiercely independent and I didn't like having to lean on other people. And then if they rejected me, I was self-sufficient and it would be fine. And that's really good when you're a teenager, not to let other people get into your heads. It was quite good when you're at uni or you're starting out in your career. But it's really terrible when you're a business owner because being vulnerable and actually connecting with people is what makes things work. And so for me, it's a good example of that was a great NLP, we call it a strategy, but it was a great way of looking at life when I was younger. It protected me from harm. There was a point in our country's history where the law making it legal to sack people for being gay, where it actually did literally protect me. Um, And so it... But the law changed 20 odd years ago and society has changed quite a lot and I've changed quite a lot too. So taking that lesson from like my teens and early 20s, it was kind of useful then. It's not that great in my 30s. It's really not helping me in my 40s. And it'll be a terrible look if I carry that into my 50s. So it's a bit, it just, I just recognise that, okay, that served a really useful purpose, but it's not really helping me now. That's so funny because I had a really similar thing in terms of just the independence side of it. I didn't have a great relationship with my, you know, the parents that I lived with growing up and, and uh, you know, I had a lot of clashes of values and I wanted to do things one way and they wanted to do things another way and and so they'd, kind of, you know, there'd be that traditional, oh, well, if you want to do it your way, then off you go, do it. And then I'd call the bluff and go, okay, then I will. <laughs> and, and so then I, I, I became really independent because of that, because I was like, right, well, I want to do it my way. And so I have to, you know, and so that, that's kind of then been ingrained in me. It's like, oh, well, I can't count on anybody else. No one, you know, the only way for me to actually get what I want is to do it myself and be independent. And I remember when I first went freelance, it was a real struggle for me. And obviously, Michelle, you, you and I have talked about this. It was a real struggle for me to accept help from my partner Roland because I was like, no, I can't take your money. I have to pay my way. I'm an independent woman. I am not going to be like, you know, 
taking taking money from a man to support me. I don't need that. And he was like, well, look, at this point in both of our careers, I'm earning, you know, a sensible amount in a in a decently paid job and you're just starting your business, so I'm gonna support you. And like, who knows? Five, 10 years time, the situation might be reversed. I might be starting from scratch and you might support me. And I was like, that's never gonna happen. And then of course, literally like <laughs> three or four years ago, he left his sensible, well-paid job and ended up um, starting up, you know, we started a business together and he was literally, you know, paying himself minimum wage. And I was contributing the majority of the money to the household bills. And I was just like, oh, yeah, he was right. <laughs> and at that point, I had already accepted that, you know, that we could help and we'd, we'd kind of merged our finances and everything. But yeah, it was definitely that kind of, no, I have to do it myself. And I'm, you know, I still recognise that belief coming up for me in various ways of like, I can't accept help and oh, no, no, I'll do it myself. Like, yeah, it's the re yeah. one of the reasons I don't think I'm very good at managing people either. <laughs> it's quite funny yeah I was I was trying to lose weight and one of the things I worked out is that you can have a taste of something or you can have half a pint instead of a pint I was trying to work out why I had an aversion to half pints and I realized there were two reasons one we associated them with the cheerleaders and the netball players at uni <laughs> and they were often often bullied us in the football team for not being girly enough and then the other one was my mum when she was a uh, dating as a as a young woman um it was you know it wasn't ladylike to have a whole pint so men would try and buy her halves while they were drinking pints and um, halves were more, two halves were more expensive than a pint. So it was like a feminist thing. She was like, uh, excuse me, don't go to the bar and buy yourself a pint and me a half. Buy me what you're <laughs> And so that had this feminist thing instilled in my head. It's like, okay, um, that's not very really helpful right now. Like, it's fine. It's not a sign of weakness to, to actually just try something. <laughs> I don't have to go toe to toe with everybody else in the pub. It was quite funny. <laughs> so, we, so, we, so we can hang on to these. Like, some of these things are just daft, as you've heard from us. They're just not, they're just not right. But they probably did help you. So I think if you find yourself getting stuck, like particularly reviews about money or marketing and you're holding yourself back or a bit of imposter syndrome, just ask yourself, how has this helped me in, in the past? Because chances are um, it's it's had some benefit and it's been kind to you. You know, some coaches say, sit with that belief and, you know, imagine it's a person and then ask it, you know, just thank it for helping you and, and, and ask it, you know, just acknowledge verbally all the good it's done and they actually get the person to say, thank you for looking after me when I was 20 or thank you for helping me get through that really hard time in my life you've served your purpose and now what I'd really like you to do is just move on so if that metaphor works for you that's sitting with the idea and talking to it like a person saying look you were really helpful but I'm ready to move on like a breaking up with a bad partner then if that helps do that too but that's the kind of conversation you're having with yourself well let's move on to looking at how we can actually overcome some of the limiting beliefs so Michelle um I know when we were talking about this you mentioned the analogy of a table yeah so Tony, this is a Tony Robbins one and I think this is a nice way of describing a belief because it helps you sort of understand how to get over it in part. So he says like an idea without anything supporting it uh, is just that, it's an idea. And he says an idea is like a table without any legs. So imagine the surface of a table, if it's got no legs it won't stand. And he said that's, that's generally what you call an idea. He said a belief um, has got legs. So normally when you've got a belief there's something propping it up. So it could be past experiences, like we talked about um, confirmation bias earlier. You look for evidence to prop up your, your belief so it becomes really strong. It's got a good foundation. So like you say, if you think, oh, I'm no good at marketing is one we hear quite a lot. And you go, oh, do you remember I tried to do that sales pitch and I, I felt awkward and fell on my face? Or remember when I stood up on stage and did public speaking and it, I know I crashed? Or, oh, I'm rubbish at picking up the phone and making sales calls. And so you point to all these things and next thing you know, this this belief has got lots of legs so there's two things Tony Robbins suggests that you can do with to, to, to kick the legs from under the table he said the first thing to do is create doubt so if you've got a limiting belief um, see if you can identify the evidence that you're using I'm using evidence air quotes on the podcast again <laughs> but look for the evidence that you're using to prop up this idea and just go back and ask yourself you know is that really true is that true all of the time um, is that an actual fact? And he said, the more doubt you can start to create about your belief, um, the the less certain you'll be of it. And a belief is really something that you are really certain about. So if you think, oh, I'm no good at sales, you feel really certain that you're not good at sales. But if you start to create doubt, 
then that certainty goes away and it loosens the belief. The other thing you can do is then start to prop up your a, a different idea or a different belief and give that legs. So, you know, I'm, you know, maybe not, I'm not a schmaltzy salesperson, perhaps I'm a good relationship salesperson and then look for evidence to prop that up. And again, the opposite is true. The more doubt you can create of a limiting belief, the looser it becomes, the more um, certainty you can create about a more positive belief, the more powerful and strong that becomes. And I was watching a BBC video this week about a lady who had gone down the conspiracy theorist rabbit hole and I've watched a couple of these about where people have you know pulled themselves back from the brink of wearing the tinfoil hats and the thing that they say is always the same they said they when they started to question what they were seeing was whether what they were seeing and hearing was true when things when they realized things didn't really stack up it was that doubt and uncertainty that had started to pull the thread that unraveled the the hole they'd gone down so I thought that was quite interesting yeah, so look for the wobbly leg first and then yeah, start. And chip away yeah. and kick it. <laughs> can be quite good. The other one, Katie, is quite often when we have a limiting belief, it's because we've got a bit of a bit of fear about something and it's a bit of, um, we feel a bit scared and sometimes we form these beliefs and we tell ourselves it's it's to protect us. So I said earlier, you know, I felt I wanted to be independent because it kept me safe from, from rejection. But... Um, Quite often, um, you should. We, the, the fear isn't as real as we think it is. So really the purpose of any fear is to protect you from a threat. So it's not about feeling scared, it's about working out what the threat really is and working out how we can mitigate or manage it. So if you make a sales pitch to someone, will you get rejected? Yeah, probably. Is it going to be the end of the world? Is your name going to be dirt? Are you going to be trashed? Are you going to be a complete failure never to rise from the ashes again? No, of course not. It doesn't feel very nice. I'll give you that. It feels awful when you crash and burn. <laughs> when you uh, you try and win someone over, you just die on your feet. But um, it's the fear isn't normally as bad as you think. So instead of feeling scared about something, ask yourself what the real fear is and then ask yourself what the true threat is and is it as bad as, as you think and maybe not. And that's a bit like what we talked about in episode 58 when we talked about the safe problems. It's that kind of, you know, what's this? What's the situation that you're creating that's masking what's really going on? Um, so that, that could be one to listen to if you feel like, hmm, yeah, maybe there's something about that going on as well. Yeah. Um, and Michelle, you talked um, about reframing things as well. Yeah, I thought I thought you helped me reframe up one with that. Me and Katia, we were, you know, reframing is just a way of just um, literally that. It's like taking the same content and making putting a new frame on it. Like if you had a picture, it would look very different if you put it on a black frame versus if you put it in a big, you know, um, outrageous gold frame. You know, the 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 way the frame we put around something sometimes changes the way we see it. And so if you're telling yourself, you know. Um, I don't know that I, you know, I don't, I don't like selling to people or I, how do I sell to these people? You could reframe it to something more comfortable. Like how could I help these people? Or if you're telling yourself, how do I outdo the competition? You could tell yourself, well, what can I learn from the competition and feel, see them as potential sources of learning rather than a threat. So see if you can find a way of reframing it or turning it around that allows you to feel better about it. And Katie, I remember we were doing a session with you once. We we're doing a bit of a, a mastermind group and uh, we were talking about our competitors and then you said you didn't think that you had competitors and that totally changed my view because you're right I think now I, I believe that there is no real competition really yeah I think that was it's you know I always sound really arrogant when I say it but it's that kind of and I think I heard it from somewhere else and it really like resonated with me and I think that that's you know I probably did have the belief that you had to do a competitor analysis when you started a business I'm sure I've got a plan business plan from the early days which has got like SWOT analyses and everything else on it but yeah it's you know it's that idea of it's just yeah, okay, there are other web designers. I have a lot of competition in web designers, okay? I have quite a lot of competitions in Squarespace web designers. I have quite a lot of competition in Squarespace web designers and trainers. But when you start looking at, okay, Squarespace web designers and Squarespace authorized trainers in the UK, that goes down to like less than 100. If you're looking at Squarespace designers and authorized trainers in Wales, I think there's maybe three of us. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, actually. And then you're like, okay, what about Squarespace designers who've got a background in working for charities and teaching? Well, that's no one, like, you know, in, in the in this area. Um, possibly no one in the world has got, you know, has, has previously been a teacher and worked in a sustainability charity before going on to work on Squarespace websites. And so when you put it like that, and then you also take personality and values into account, 
there is no one that's exactly like me that you know i'll be a really good fit for some people and i'll be a less good fit for other people and that's why for the competition thing just yeah i don't feel like it's it's yeah yeah and like you know you, like, like you were talking about earlier like oh do you, do you have to take away from someone else to earn money and i don't i don't think you do i think there is enough work of the type that i do anyway there's you know to go around so yeah and i really like that resource thing you said before about the money is just a resource i think that's a brilliant way of reframing it yeah and it feels so much better and when you said that katie then that kind of do, it changes the way you feel and it gets you to feel more good because i'm thinking oh because then that for me takes the focus of others it's like well i don't have to be better than them i just have to really be really clear about me or really strong in what i do and like you say some people will be attracted to that i have and that would that to take other people out of the picture entirely and then you feel good and then you feel motivated and then you feel more confident so it's an upward cycle so that could be really good other ways you can you can overcome a limiting belief well there are two ways of doing this and you could try both right there's the positive and the negative so the first one is you could scare the crap out of yourself <laughs> so if you need a bit of a kick up the bum you know like you've been thinking oh i'm really much shake this limiting belief you can scare yourself out of it I would suggest you the positive one as well. But to start off with, ask yourself some scary questions like, what has this cost you so far? What was the impact of you not acting or holding on to the beliefs? What will it cost you going forward if you keep holding on to it? And, you know, for me, I, I was too scared to coach people. You know, I wanted to help people. I was too scared to coach them in case I didn't help them. And therefore, I didn't coach anyone. Therefore, I didn't help anyone. So, you know, what is that cost me? Well, everything, because I'm not helping anyone. What is the impact? Uh, no money, but also not helping people. So there's normally some pain. So attach some pain to it. If you really want to ramp up the pain, ask yourself, what would your loved ones learn from you? So Katie, you've run your own business for a while. Your partner's now self-employed as well. You know, if you were holding on to lots of limiting beliefs, what would he learn from you? He'd learn how to not to do business. What would your kids learn? And so on and so forth. You know, would you teach this to somebody else? So there's all sorts of things, you know, what are your customers going to, it's what's going to happen to your customers if you don't give the best of yourself and put yourself out there. They're going to go to people that aren't as good as you and don't have your values or your integrity or professionalism and they're probably going to pay money to people for something that's not as good. So don't make yourself feel awful, but do give yourself a kick up the bum. That is so motivating for me, that last one about like people getting ripped off by charlatans. Like that is what gets me out of bed in the morning is to save people from that <laughs> yeah i think it's so it's so good and like you say we all have a set of values about what we do and we all know what happens when people you know go to the people who are all substance and no it all style sorry and no substance we all see those so you could do that the other one i would say to do and do this as well if you're doing the first one is to flip it round. so do the do the positive make the hunger bigger than the fear some people say so find the higher purpose so you might be scared of i don't know promoting your pit your business through public speaking but what is more important to you than your fear of public speaking? So Katie mentioned saving people from charlatans or helping people feel really good about what they're putting on the website or to feel that they understand it or that they've got a stake in it. Um, and if that, if those are your values, if your higher purpose is to help people, to give good service, to put something cool or creative into the world, put your focus onto that and make it bigger and more intense than the fear and the way you can do that is to like some people use visualization some people's it's a value exercise um all these sorts of things sometimes it's positive feedback a good news story you got from someone you know store it and read it every time you need a reminder why you're doing this this can be really powerful and i think sometimes the limiting beliefs are so entrenched that we can't necessarily unpick them or even see them ourselves and so i think if you are really struggling then it is okay to get support with it so if you can help, you know, someone to help you, you know, explore and identify the underlying beliefs or the causes and help you unravel them together. Um, so, you know, I found my coaching sessions with Michelle extremely helpful. We've definitely looked at some underlying beliefs and you've called me out on stuff before. And, you know, even asking like, okay, why do you have to wait so long to do that? Like, you know, why can't you do it now? And we're going, uh, and that's when the legs just fall off. But no, you know, I yeah. hadn't asked myself that question. And then obviously, you know, counselling is great for looking at why, why you know, what's happened in your life and what, what associations you might have done that. I recently had some hypnotherapy, which was amazing. Um, and I was a bit scared of it at first, but around the, around the kind of getting up in the morning stuff, because it was just really bugging me. And I've, I've obviously kind of adapted my life around the fact that I don't 
know, I didn't consider myself a morning person. So I just wanted to explore a little bit more, like, why is this such a thing for me? And, you know, it's with the hypnotherapy stuff, there wasn't, like, some big revelation. I didn't get up in the morning and do, like, sun salutation at 5am the next day. But it just changed my mindset slightly. And I think what it allowed me to go, you know, realise was that, you know, it, there was a kind of a bit of a, like, oh, no shit, Sherlock moment where I was like, oh, yeah, I've had loads of really negative associations growing up with being up early in the morning. But actually, there were so many of them that they did then become a thing where I was like, right, okay, you know, when I'm a grown-up, I'm not going to get up early and it's not going to be rubbish like it is now. And all of that was very like internalised as my belief. And so it, it's just given me a different perspective on it and a bit more feeling of, sort of freedom in terms of, no, do you know what? I can get up in the morning. It doesn't mean that it's bad and I'm not letting my former self down by getting up early. And so, yeah, like that, that was really helpful for me. So I think sometimes it's, you know, beliefs that you don't even give any credence to that are actually playing a significant role in, in kind of forming those limiting beliefs. So definitely reach out and get help from people if you think yeah. that could be useful for you. Definitely. If it's been a long-term thing, then I think it can, can be good to, to or it's, if it is really quite painful, get some help. And again, you know, ca- counselling works well for some people. They really, they find that really beneficial. Some people don't like it because it involves dredging stuff up. They pursue something like CBT. So it doesn't really matter the modality. There's there's many different approaches out there, but definitely get some help if you are getting stuck on your own. Whether that's from a mastermind group or from a from a professional, I think it's a good way to go. So there we go. There's a few suggestions of what you can do. Be kind to yourself. I think is challenge yourself enough um, to on your beliefs where they come from. Are they yours? Are they helpful? Um, but also be kind as well. So remember, it's about feeling positive and uh, using your strengths and focusing on what's more important to you. But in short, do something. Uh, don't just stew with that belief and hang on to it. Simply being told, get over it, doesn't really help. And or just telling yourself, I really must get over this or I really ought to move beyond this limiting belief. I think one thing I'd add, Katie, is just please, when you crack it and you move through the other side, please don't tell other freelancers to change your limiting belief. <laughs> share how share how you did it because not only does it help them, but it helps us too. And I think that just makes the freelancing world a better place. Yeah. <laughs> so we always like to finish our episodes um, by sharing one top tip or takeaway um, that we'd have from this episode. If we just had one way to address this problem what would it be so michelle what would you say if you could just do one thing normally i say like get to the root cause but if that's too tricky the next best thing you can do katie is just reframe it so turn it into something that's positive and motivational that's where i would if you could do one thing reframe it into something that does work for you what about you um i was gonna say reframing we never rehearse these bits these uh (laughs) these last bits (laughs) but i think because i sometimes want to choose something that we haven't like planned to talk about so i i would i would also actually say reframing but i think maybe just like even just start questioning it i think if you, you know before you even get to reframing you have to actually know that it's there and that it is a limiting belief so when you feel like hang on maybe this might be something that's limiting then just start questioning it and start wobbling those legs a little bit of that table is what i'd say yeah so hopefully that's helpful and if you know if you're struggling with any limiting beliefs and you've got any tips on how you've overcome any then please let us know you can get in touch with us on twitter at 99 problems cast that's the number 99 problems and then cast as in podcast and if you'd like us to cover any particular topics on the upcoming episodes that we're doing then again let us know and we'll see you next time for another episode of 99 problems but a boss ain't one